namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa My dear friends, today I'm going to talk about freedom uh, through the practice of impermanence. The Pali word is anicca. So this freedom is from craving, all kinds of craving, clinging, and unskillful states of mind, and of course freedom from suffering. And what we mean by impermanence, at least from the Buddhist point of view, is one of the universal characteristics of existence. Others are suffering and non-self. So this is what the Buddha was talking about, that everything is constantly changing. All conditioned things are changing all the time. So we come on a retreat here. We leave our homes we come here for 12 weeks, six weeks, and then we get instruction to observe our breath and see the breath changing. So I don't know about you, but going back home and tell people that you've been observing the breath changing, they look at you. <laughs> So what's going on here? So what? And you tell them, I've been observing my thoughts changing, rising, passing away. They, say, they will ask you what's so special about it. Can you answer? Oh, we've been doing walking meditation, lifting, moving, placing. <laughs> meditators may understand, but non-meditators... I don't think they can get it. Okay, we've been actually uh, meditating, but we're not supposed to look at other people. So what's so special about that? So uh, it's not easy to, ex- to explain to other people what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But... The Buddha, the way he valued these teachings, there's a way how he put in a kind of a time scale whereby he said that it's better to live one day contemplating on the impermanence nature of all conditioned things than to live a hundred years. He went on with other teachings also, uh, like mindfulness, uh, self-restraint, efforts. So he was talking about it's better to spend one day uh, practicing mindfulness than spending 100 years without mindfulness. So it's self-restraint and efforts. So now when you add up, that's for days. One for impermanence, one for mindfulness, another one for effort, another one for self-restraint. 
So it's four days compared to 400 years without doing so. For those who are worried that we have only four weeks left, so you can start now. <laughs> four days is equivalent to living your life 100 years without seeing, uh, without, uh, yeah, so without seeing if impermanence. Uh, then you're basically spending your 100 years not uh, constructive way of spending your life. So this is a time scale, and for me it's so beautiful to know this, uh, because sometimes practice can be very difficult. You watch your breath, and the mind wanders, and they say, what's going on with me? And yet, there's one teaching that you can't miss on this retreat. In a case that you you're thinking your practice is not going on well, you know. There's one insight you cannot miss. And that's one insight is, guess what? The mind is changing all the time. You can't miss that. You can start with your meditation, start sitting. You have all the intention to be mindful. The mind to stay where you want, to stay where you want good luck. All of a sudden, it goes. And you get insight into impermanence. But other people will ask you, why did you go to meditate and spend all that time? You see all the trees are changing. Colors, you know. Seasons are changing. From winter to fall to autumn to summer especially those who live in these countries where they have four seasons. In Uganda, no, we don't have four seasons. But still, uh, the weather changes, and it is a good reminder for us that things are changing. So is there advantages and disadvantages of, uh, of seeing impermanence? Let's say, for instance, if you look at uh, the advantages of seeing permanence. Do you see an advantage to that? Maybe for security purposes, for if you want to be secure and have a sense of identity, it helps. It helps to see that things are permanent. Your identity, uh, to be secure, your relationships, it's good to think of permanence. Imagine somebody say, I love you so much. You say, no, love is impermanent. <laughs> they will not like it. <laughs> you rather say, yes, yes. It's permanent. <laughs> For the rest of our life. <laughs> Even when the sun changes, our love is not going to change. Our friendship is not going to change. For security purpose, yes, it works. But it may not work <laughs> when we subject these teachings on uh, what the Buddha called the five aggregates. The five aggregates of clinging. These are the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. I think thank goes to impermanence when you have 
angry thoughts, <laughs> they will change. Can you imagine if they don't change, we'll be angry all the time. And that's not good. So I think the teaching of impermanence are very, very helpful. Of course, we look at our physical body. It's changing all the time. And if it doesn't, then there's a problem. Our feelings change, uh, changes, like pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. It would be very boring to have unpleasant feelings only without changing to pleasant and neutral. Perception is changing all the time. Our thoughts changing. Even if you want them to stay the same, they keep on changing. You might be sitting here and say, wow, when is the retreat going to end? <laughs> and then a thought comes, wow, <laughs> maybe I could start IMS and keep on meditating. And that's what I did, actually, <laughs> in 1999. Luckily, uh, I saw a job being advertised there. Uh, there I was just getting cup of water, and a friend of mine say, pointed to me, you see, they want somebody in the front office. I said, yes, I can continue on with my practice. So I worked in the front office. I used to stay up there. So maybe some of you also are planning. Thoughts are coming, you know, changing all the time. At one time you want to leave the retreat. At one time you want to stay. <laughs> These are changing nature of thoughts, you know. It's very interesting to see this happening. The Buddha pointed out five ways or five uh, five benefits of really seeing impermanence in Anguttara Nikaya. He said, all conditioned things will appear to me as transient, changing all the time. That's a good, adv- that's a good advantage of seeing impermanence. The second one, mind will not delight in anything that's conditioned, such as aversion, sense pleasures, everything that's conditioned. So the mind is not going to take delight in these things. The third one, he said, the mind will emerge from all conditioned things. In other words, it will turn away. The fourth one, he said, my mind will incline towards Nibbana, the unconditioned state of mind. And that's what we are doing here, so that our mind climbs towards Nibbana. The fifth benefit, he said that the fetters, the ten fetters, we haven't talked about these actually. Maybe somebody will talk about the ten fetters, will be discarded by me. And another one is that the sixth one is that I will be part of the group of people who are called supreme ascetics. Those are the f- like four levels of enlightenment. And if you want to be part of that club, that group, 
start now <laughs> and try to see things changing and changing and you break through the ten fetters. Actually, the first three attain what calls stream entry. So you become what, the, what we call Arya Sangha, the noble ones. If you want to belong to those class of people, noble ones, you need to practice these teachings. There's a very interesting question that comes up. Why did the Buddha bother to teach about impermanence? Do you know why? In fact, it's interesting. Most of the teaching the Buddha taught, it was for a specific purpose. And so is this teaching on impermanence. Impermanence. It is aimed for a specific task. And to know this and to appreciate the Buddha's teaching on impermanence and other teachings, of course, it's very interesting to know what was the teaching before the Buddha came. They had so many views, 62 views, by the, Buddha came, by the time the Buddha came. There are so many religious leaders back, back then during the time of the Buddha. So this teaching, actually, it was a critical response to the binary opposition of these views. On one extreme, they had views like there is a, a spiritual self which is eternal and it is different from the body. In other words, there was duality. So this is the self which is permanent and uh, it's spiritual. It's not, then, then there's a body which is physical. So according to this view, uh, it was kind of teaching what to call absolute existence. So things are permanently permanent. And this teaching undermined the teaching on cause and effects, karma, no effort, no morality, ethical conduct, no results of karma. So purification is through wandering on and on until that soul or self reach its, reaches its final destination. So this kind of led to a practice which is called self-mortification. And the Buddha came and found these practices. In many ways, we can call this craving with the wrong view. Of eternalism. One such contemporary of the Buddha is called Makkali Gosala. In one discourse, it's called Samanyapara Sutta, the fruits of recluseship. Then there's a group of people, also religious leaders, who oppose that. They say, no, for us, we don't believe in that. We believe that it is self, a soul, that is physical, made of elements, four elements. 
And also the body is physical. So what will happen at the point of death? Earth element will go to earth element. Water element will go to water element. And the sense faculties will just go into space. In other words, the teaching of what you call self-annihilation was what this religious leader was thinking about. So they believed in absolute no existence at the point of death. So they believed, in other words, in the identity of the self or soul with the body. So that brought the teaching of what call uh, materialism. And uh, there was a lot of craving uh, with the wrong view of annihilation. So these were opposing views that existed during the time of the Buddha. Yet it was the third one, which was very interesting. This was like skepticism. Skepticism. Uh, there were a lot of teaching that really opposed to the two. This is a very, very interesting one because it evaded all the questions about existence and non-existence. And uh, to give you a flavor of this, again from Samanya Parasuta, one of the teacher, it was called Sanjaya Berata Puta. Uh, this I'm just quoting from the, the discourse itself. If you ask me if there, there are, exists another world after death, if I thought that there exists another world, would I declare that to you? Question mark. This was the reply of these skeptics. I don't think so. I don't think in that way. I don't think otherwise. I don't think not. I don't think not not. <laughs> Can you get an answer from here? <laughs> Such is the Buddha. When he came, this is what's going on. <laughs> Other people are not giving an answer. <laughs> Others are on extreme of self-indulgence. Others are on extreme of self-mortification. So the Buddha figured it out. He said, let me find a teaching that is not compromising, compromising those extremes. According to the Buddha, that is, is saying that everything conditioned is dependently arising, is dependently arising, and is changing all the time. So what he did is to bring in the teaching on the five aggregates. And if we want to really know whether things are impermanent or non-permanent, we have to look at our experience, our direct experience in our life. And according to the Buddha, these are the five aggregates. Somebody will talk about them. At least I've introduced them, but somebody maybe will give a talk about them. He said that if we are to find out the truth about our existence, we have to mentally dissect what we call a human being. And then we have to see, not only knowing that these are five aggregates, we have to look at 
whether they are conditioned or not. You remember one teaching we're talking about that the self or soul is permanent and in other words it's not conditioned. But here again the Buddha is saying and is inviting us to see each and each and each and every aggregate of clinging, whether it's conditioned or not. And is really inviting us to look at the subtle form of uh, this experience, which is the constant change of our five aggregates of clinging. So when we look at the, the form, material form, our body is conditioned. We have to eat food. It, they come due to cause and condition. Without eating food, you will see what will happen. <laughs> Things will change. Our body will keep on changing. There are so many conditions that come together to have a physical form as the body. Look at the feelings also. Feelings also are conditions. You have the object, you have to see the object, and then the, the coming of the three together, the, the eye, the object, and the eye contact, then there's what you call seeing. Of course, light has to be there too. So it's also conditioned. Perceptions condition, mental formations are, con are conditioned, volition, desires, emotions, consciousness, hearing, it's all conditioned. It comes, it comes due to cause and condition. So the question is, what is it that is a nature that is impermanent? Is the five aggregates are impermanent and they're conditioned? To illustrate like this, I can ring maybe a bell. The sound. The sound, is it here? Is the sound here? Where do you think there's a sound? Is it here or is it here? I'm going to ring the bell. So even the sound arises, it depends on conditions. It depends on condition. And these five aggregates are of clinging are rising together. You cannot separate them, you know. They come due to cause and condition, but they all arise together. Even by me holding this thing like this, it's all coming together, the five aggregates. I can feel this one. I can perceive it. In fact, without perceiving it, maybe I'll, hold, I'll maybe lift something else. <laughs> but because I perceive it as a gong and this stick, then I, I choose the right one. The feelings, pleasant, unpleasant. Even the, the hearing is part of the consciousness. So we need to know that all this is conditioned. So what is it that is impermanence? The answer is everything that is conditioned, but in our practice, we need to really know the five aggregates. Of course, when you look at the gross part of impermanence, everything is changing. You look outside the trees, changing, changing of the societies, uh, what call uh, 
empires. Roman Empire changed. Egyptian Empire. World systems are changing, but the practice is really to look at what's going on in your direct experience here. So, the second question now is how do we practice with this? In order to practice, there's one more or two words that you need to know. In Pali is anichalakana, signs of impermanence. You need to know that. And I like the word anicha. Actually, because I've had so many songs about this, anicha, anicha, anicha. There's many songs actually about it. So if you, you want to learn Pali, today you can learn the word anicha. Anicha lakana, impermanence. The signs of impermanence. As a practitioner, you need to know the sign. If you don't know the sign, it's going to be difficult to reach where you want, you want to go. Like maybe a sign to Boston. Once you see the sign to Boston, you can keep going. You don't go in the opposite direction. <laughs> you keep going. <laughs> so, but the sign to Boston is not Boston. If you see the sign that goes to Boston and you just hold on to it <laughs> and hug it, you're not going to reach Boston. <laughs> I, I read in a book one time this sign about uh, not clinging and somebody was, I think, holding on to the sign. <laughs> Still, that's another form of clinging, you know, to views and all that. So what are the signs that point to impermanence? We need to look at the signs so that it's not abstract. Otherwise, it's going to be abstract. What are the signs? When things are rising, that's a good sign that there's impermanence going on. When things are passing away, it's a good sign. And when things are both rising and passing away, is also a good sign. That's the teaching the Buddha gave in the Four Foundation of Mindfulness. He repeated it many, many times, just in case you don't get it. It is the invitation to look at things rising, passing away, and both rising and passing away. So those are the signs that you are actually seeing the true nature of the experience. I remember when I was practicing with these Burmese teachers, and some of you, you've practiced with Burmese teachers, they will ask you to report the rising of the abdomen and the falling of abdomen. Just report that. You can come up with so many things to report. And the teacher will reply, did you note it? Wow. And you leave the interview. You come again and think that you're going to impress the teacher. <laughs> you talk about all emotion that you went through, this and that. Did you note it? <laughs> it's interesting that they're trying to tell us whether we would see that experience, whether it was changing or not. I remember going, when I was practicing in Burma, 
for two months in 2004, I went to my teacher and I said, the heat is crashing here. It's very oppressive. It's so hot here. It's even challenging my African upbringing. And he told me, did you note it? (laughs) (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) And then another time, I went there. I said, the food is so hot. The food is so hot. (laughs) Though I had spent actually a good time in Asia, in India, I spent five years. The food was very hot. I remember my first time when I went to India in 1990. The food was so hot, and I started to dodge eating for two weeks, taking biscuits only. Biscuits after biscuits after biscuits. And I wrote to my parents at home, please get me out of this country. In Uganda, I wasn't eating hot food. You know, in a hostel, actually, it was amazing where I was staying as a student. They had this kind of cooked chilies, very hot. And they had a fresh one. And they had onions. All those things I don't like, basically. (laughs) I don't eat onions. Those must have observed. (laughs) Those who give me food, I don't eat it. Cooked chilies, that was hot enough. And the fresh one. And my friends from India, they were just taking the cooked one, the fresh one, and the onion. I looked at them like this. But later on, of course, my course was to stay there for three years, and I had to learn how to eat hot food. And once I learned to eat hot food, now when I go to Uganda and it's not hot, I said, no, no, I need it a little bit hot. <laughs> so it's amazing how things change, you know. <laughs> yes, so I went to my teacher and I told him that uh, the food is so hot. He said, did you note it? <laughs> I said, it's hot. <laughs> Even when I note it, it's hot. <laughs> Noting is not changing. It's not helping out. So, he told me, do you like beans or not? I said, the beans are hot. (laughs) So, but there's something that actually told me that was very inspiring. Because actually, uh, I think this teacher had practiced with him at the forest refuge. And we flew together to California. Again, I practiced with him. And again, I meet him in Burma. So we had developed a very good connection. So he told me, Bena Buddha Rakita, you are saying that the food is hot. And the weather is hot. But you should be worried about the heat inside you. The heat of greed the heat of aversion, the heat of delusion. That's what you should be worried. Because that heat is going to burn you all the time, even when you leave Burma. 
I say, okay. For the heat outside, I say, okay. I'm not going to use the umbrella. I'm going to not hot, 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 hot. It was amazing. People were bringing me umbrella. Venerable, venerable. Here's the umbrella. I would say, no umbrella. So it was amazing for me to really seeing the different nuances of the heat as I was going through uh, Panditarama Center. And all people had umbrellas except me. I was using it for meditation and seeing the impermanence nature of the heat. Then when I went there, again, I told my teacher uh, my experience when I'm eating hot, hot. Uh, was asking me, did you not? I said, yes, I noted it. And what happened? <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> I said that the, ch- the heat changed a little bit to this and this and that. Okay, try, try hard. Actually, for me, it was very interesting, actually, to really be aware of the change. And it, for me, there was that freedom. Before I was resisting the hot food, I was resisting the hot weather. But once I started to see the change, I was aware of the change, different change sensations as I was eating the food. Hmm? It was just amazing for me to tune in this changing, changing nature of the experience. There's another question here that if we know and we listen, we had talks about impermanence. I don't know how many times you've heard about this talk. But why are we always still seeing things as permanent? Anger rises and we think it's going to last forever. A thought arises and we think it's going to stay until the end of the day or or at the end of the retreat. (laughs) The Buddha talked about what we call distorted perception, the Pali words Viparasa, there's a distortion, always seeing things as permanent, yet they're impermanent. In many ways, what disguises this impermanence is continuity. Things look to be like continuous. And I can give you an experience, an, an, ex, an, an example. When you are traveling in a town and there's some kind of construction going on, you start to see arrows detour. I don't know if you have that experience. The arrow is so solid and it tells you to go this side. But once you drive and reach the arrow, you just see one bulb after one bulb after one bulb just having light. And it shows you that it's continuous. And you take another road. So that continuity always we take it that things are permanent, uh, are permanent. But actually, at a closer look at your, our experience or what's going on is one thing after the other. It's breaking, actually, though we see it as one thing. This was in Uganda, but maybe you don't have this experience. But as a little kid, 
we used to light something like this. I don't know if you do this in North America or Europe. So you, 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 would, last, you would light a stick and then you would do like this, like this, like this. And it makes circles. And we used to love it in the evening. We, it's, especially when it's dark, you just do like this very, very, very fast. And then you just see circles, all over circles. But it's actually one movement, after one movement, after one movement, after one movement, after one movement. But we think things are so continuous, and we think that that's how things are, but they're not. Even those who have been traveling to see waterfalls, when you are very far away, you just see one thing falling like this. But when you come closer, and this coming closer is like having wisdom to see closely. You just see, oh, it's one drop after one drop, after one drop. And for me, insects is a very good example. In Uganda, we have insects that make lime, which I haven't seen in America, actually. Do you have them here, American people? The insects, they just always walk in a line. But they make a very good line like this. But when you go there, it's one thing after the other. So it's just amazing for me to watch these teachings. <laughs> it's just look at one continuous thing. But when you go there, it's one insect after the other. Another example that was so beautiful every time I would travel to Washington, D.C. As the plane is about to land, I would see two lines. One is white, another one is red. I said, wow, look at this beautiful line going around the city, Dallas Airport. Only to land, <laughs> and people pick me up and start driving, and I don't see the line. It was one car after one car after one car, <laughs> the other cars was going on this side. <laughs> the headlamp was white. And this car going on this side, it was just red. And it's one car after one car. Because I'm with, one ex- with the direct experience, I can see one thing after the other. One thing after the other. These similes, I think, are very important in our meditation. Whenever you can't see things changing, you want to come closer your experience and see instead of being too far removed from your experience. This coming closer is more not so physically like the one I've given you, landing at the airport and being in with the traffic and all that. This is actually wisdom and understanding to be with the experience where there's a craving, where there's aversion, whatever experience is. Subject it to that closeness of observation and mindfulness. And the beauty of mindfulness is that it brings us closer to our experience. After all, mindfulness is to remember to, to be with what's going on in the present moment also. So, for me, continuity normally disguises these teachings, but it's very important to know that it's breaking apart. Another important word you need to know is it's in Pali. It's called Anicca Anupasana. Anu means along with. Pasana comes from the Pali word Pasati, which means seeing. In this case, contemplation. Contemplate, contemplating along with the rising, passing away nature and both rising and passing on the nature of the experience. We need to contemplate. 
we, it's not about listening to music about Anicca in permanence. It's not about repeating it. It's not about reading books about this. It's really contemplating, practice meditation along with what's going on in that experience. Most people probably have done this meditation and metta, uh, compassion, appreciative joy, even equanimity. These are also conditioned thoughts. We can really subject to them to this teaching also in permanence that the thought of loving kindness is changing all the time also. It's changing. We can, in other words, we can, in other words, we can switch our practice from metta to insight meditation, vipassana meditation, if we are to see our thoughts as changing in a present moment, as thoughts of loving kindness arising and passing away. So this is a very, very important uh, teaching. It has to be in a present moment when arising is happening. Not before or after, but in a present moment. If we wait <laughs> for the next moment, maybe we can miss it. It has to be at the moment when it's happening. I remember the same teacher was asking me whether you note it or not. I was practicing with him, Saido Pandita, there at the Forest Refuge in 2003. I think one of you was, was on that retreat, 2003, uh, when op the, the opening the Forest Refuge. And uh, one teacher gave me a tip on how to see things happening at the same time. He asked me, You are Buddha Rakita? Yes, I am. What does your name mean? Uh, protected by the Buddha. Say you should protect the Buddha. That's what he told me. But you should protect the two. C he talked about three C's, three C, three C, like that. One he told me to have what we call continuity of mindfulness. When you are having whatever's arising in your experience, there has to be continuity of mindfulness. That was the first C. The second C, he told me, you have to concentrate and focus. Don't be scattered. Really focus on what's going on. Then another C, those are the three Cs he told me to protect, is concurrence. It, your experience has to be concurrent. In other words, what's arising in the present moment and the observing mind. It has to be co concurrent. And the way Saido Pandita, the way he describes, it, describes this concurrence, he talks about when you have a spoon, you have a spoon, and now you want to pick food, you have to be concurrent. In other words, this, this, the fork or the spoon has to be concurrent with the food that you are, you are going to eat. Otherwise, if it's concurrent, it will be going, going there. Going there. So if you are not really meeting that experience, then you kind of uh, gross over it, you know. You don't meet that experience. So then off I went. 
and I start practicing the three C. It was amazing how my practice really transformed because sometime I had gaps in my practice. It was not continuous. So continuity, he told me, it's a key to success. Continuity of your practice. So from time, not only observing the object, but also in your practice, trying to bring in that continuity of mindfulness, concurrence. In other words, contemplating along with impermanence. So those are three words that you, you need to remember in my talk. One is anicca, anicca lakana, anicca nupasana. In other words, impermanence, signs of impermanence, and contemplating along with impermanence. Now, as my topic today is freedom from uh, freedom through the practice of uh, impermanence, where is the freedom? <laughs> we haven't talked about freedom. What's going on here? So, to complete my topic, we are going to see the freedom. It's not about singing about impermanence, impermanence, so what? Here's the freedom. You see, if you remember very well, I told you the reason why the Buddha taught impermanence. Do you remember? The skeptics <laughs> who were evading the question. <laughs> Others were just going on one side of craving, uh, eternalism. Others were on the side of uh, annihilation. So when you read the Four Noble Truth, the Buddha talks about the origin of suffering. Is craving for sensual pleasures, craving for existence, bhavatana, craving for non-existence, vibhavatana, tanha. But I'm going to use the words that I understand better. Craving for sensual pleasures, I understand that part. But for the other two, I would really use some commentary that talks about craving with the wrong view of eternalism. The third craving, craving with the wrong view or associated with the wrong view of annihilation. So those three kinds of craving, when you practice impermanence, actually you undercut them. You slowly reduce those cravings. Let's start with craving for uh, craving for for instance craving for sensual pleasures. When we start to see the rising and passing our nature of our experience, slowly by slowly we reduce craving for sensual pleasures. Craving for existence, which is uh, the first example I gave you, where people thought that uh, this self or soul will ex is permanent and is going to exist from one life to another and another life, and you crave for what called existence, eternalism. Since this is just the continuity of existence, 
is the one we crave it. When we are seeing things in our direct experience falling, so on one side is right, we crave for existence forever. On one side, in our experience, we see things falling, which is one of the signs of impermanence. Then it, it kind of undercuts that kind of tendencies, that kind of belief. And if the belief is that, which is craving for annihilation, things not to exist, then in your experience, if you are seeing things rising all the time, so while this was a belief just for not existing, even at least after death, still that's what people thought, is that everything after death is kaput, no more. <laughs> so there's no need even to practice morality and craving, do good things in life, you know, because they're not going to be rewarded. <laughs> After all, everything will cease to exist. So just having that tendency that everything is going to cease always, ceasing in existence. But if in your experience you are seeing rising, which is one of the characteristics of, uh, of impermanence, then there's freedom. So in other words, seeing impermanence frees you from that craving for sensual pleasures, craving for uh, existence, and craving for non-existence which the Buddha identified it, uh, identified them as the cause or the origin of suffering. That's where the freedom comes from. It comes from there. Freedom from suffering. If we have removed the cause of suffering, then we'll be free. But this is something that comes from moment to moment. It's not waking up, ah, I'm seeing Anicca, I'm free. No, it's chipping off slowly by slowly, chipping off slowly by slowly these mental defilements. And that's where the freedom comes. Well, last time I talked about pizza. <laughs> Pizza's coming. <laughs> Talking about pizza and the pizza and permanence and all these is not going to help us. The proof of the pudding is in eating. Let us start now. Really, seriously, we are going to eat that pizza. Let us meditate for five minutes on this. I invite you, anyway. Settle back in the present moment. I would like you to experience with the five aggregates the Buddha talked about that they are impermanent. And as an experiment, I would like you to do your finger like this, your finger like this, and put it here on the nose like this. Take a deep breath and breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Can you be aware of the warmth of the breath, the coolness, the sensation, the movement, and all this? Okay, now you can remove it. And you can now close your eyes. So if you look at our breath, we want to know whether it's impermanent or not. We need to subject it to really find out the four elements in it. As you breathe in, now don't put your finger. Now you have to put your mind there. 
because it, it will be very boring to put your finger all the time there and you'll be tired anyway. So instead of putting your finger, now I invite you to put your mind in a place of the finger. So it's your mind now not seeing the breath coming in and going. Can you be aware of the warmth as the breath comes out? Is that warmth changing? Is it rising, passing away? Or coolness as breathing? Maybe it's movement of the breath as it passes through the nostrils. There's some kind of movement. Maybe there's some kind of dryness, maybe moisture. The air element, the movement, the warmth is fire element. Softness, maybe the breath, you feel it as soft. So the question is, are those things fixed or are they changing? Maybe you are going to find out they are changing all the time. All the time. Now as you breathe, if you want to focus your mind on rising and fall of abdomen or the nostrils, you are going to become aware of the feelings, which is the second aggregate. Sometimes a neutral feeling as you breathe in and out. Sometimes maybe pleasant. And it's changing all the time. Perception as an aggregate of clinging. You perceive the breath, sometimes is short, sometimes is long. The fourth aggregate is mental formations. That's even where the mindfulness is. Emotions, volition is there, desire is there. Of course, there is desire to breathe so that you can stay alive. But mindfulness is also part of the aggregate. Can you be mindful of the breath? Even attention, paying attention to the breath. So, is it changing or staying the same? It's passing away. Then comes awareness of the breath. In this case, we look at the touching consciousness. The breath is touching the nostrils. And that touch is changing all the time. It doesn't stay the same. So every single breath is an invitation to be aware of the five aggregates as conditioned. Because they are all conditioned. 
as you breathe in, there must be a nose to breathe. It's a condition. Feelings are conditions. Everything is conditioned. And everything is rising and passing away. So you're knowing a nature in permanence, the characteristics, the sign, which is rising, passing away, or both. And also you are practicing along, contemplating along with rising and passing away. The Buddha said, all conditioned things are impermanent. Strive on with diligence. In another place, the Buddha said, all conditioned things are impermanent. Having risen, they pass away. When they pass away, thus peace, said the Buddha. Since all conditioned things are impermanent, my Dhamma talk is also impermanent. I offer this for your reflection. How was the test of the pizza? <laughs>